You're listening to The Naked Pravda. This is Medusa's first and only English language podcast. So please don't be shy about recommending us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. Welcome to The Naked Pravda, a podcast that highlights how Medusa's top reporting intersects with the wider research and expertise that exists about Russia. I'm your host. Who am I? I'm Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. And on today's show, we'll be talking about the sickness that's sweeping Russia. We've known it was coming since January when Vladimir Putin warned the nation, but now it's moving at full throttle and threatens who knows what kind of damage. No... It's not coronavirus, although I bet that would make a pretty good podcast episode. No, I'm talking about the other calamity now unfolding in Russia, a massive campaign to revise the Constitution so that Vladimir Putin's presidency might continue until 2036. If there aren't flying cars by then, I don't, I don't know what I'll do. For today's show, I spoke to a handful of scholars in Russia and the UK. I'm afraid I ignored the Americans today, but I'm sure I give them too much play anyway. And uh, a lot of what you'll hear is me asking things like, is uh, this shit as crazy as it seems? And someone smarter than me saying, well, yes, but shit is not strictly a scholarly term. And from there, we'll go to school, learning about the political games and legal gymnastics, all happening now to fuel an initiative that's going to rewrite big chunks of the most important law in Russia. As of right now, at the time I'm recording this, on the evening of Thursday, March 12th, all that stands between now and the enactment of major constitutional reforms is a ruling from Russia's constitutional court and a nationwide vote that has to draw the support of at least half of Russians who bother to show up and vote. And that's supposed to take place on April 22nd. I'm emphasizing what time it is right now because the situation has been changing day to day and sometimes even by the hour. When this week started... The State Duma hadn't even adopted the second reading, the second draft of the legislation that encompasses these amendments. Since then, lawmakers in both houses of Russia's parliament managed to breeze through votes on the revised draft law and the final draft of the law. And then a day later, the regional assemblies in two-thirds of Russia's constituent territories, sometimes they're also called the federal constituent entities, they also approved this reform legislation. So not unlike our friend COVID-19, things in Russia are moving fast. Why, though? Are lawmakers coughing their legislation all over each other? Is there any way to quarantine this initiative? I wrote that joke down. I thought it would be good. I'm saying it aloud now. I'm not sure I like it as much, but I'm going to leave it in so that you guys can be the judge. I swear that's the last coronavirus joke that I'm going to make for this episode. So occasionally there are cases of bills, especially those bills that are introduced by the president going through incredibly quickly. That's Ben Noble, an assistant professor in Russian politics at the University College London in the School of Slavonic and East European Studies. A lot of Ben's work focuses on how Russia's parliament isn't the rubber stamp it's often thought to be. There's often more room for politics than you might expect, his research shows but not in circumstances like what we've seen this week. Why not? The reason why it's gone through so quickly, it's because uh, 
President Putin has made it clear that this is the number one priority for understandable reasons. And he's not asking legislators, whether they be state Duma deputies or senators or deputies within regional assemblies, to carry out any type of scrutiny. Their role is not to scrutinise. It's not to consider whether these particular changes um, could be improved. Uh, their role is to support the president. But at the end of the day, the short answer is this process has been so speedy because legislators are not being asked to critique this bill. They're being asked to support it, plain and simple. When Putin first introduced the initiative in his State of the Nation speech in January, it sounded it sounded like maybe he was considering actually weakening the presidency. And there was a lot of talk of, okay, he's going to move to some other role in the government and have, you know, he'll rule from, from the side or something like that because the president won't be as strong. But then the amendments that that were tacked on by the state Duma deputies seem to have accomplished the opposite. And now we have maybe an even stronger president in many ways. Is that is that your reading also of the, the amendment process? Definitely. So uh, on the 15th of January, lots of uh, commentators abroad, but also lots of commentators of Russian politics within Russia, were saying that Putin seems to be signaling um, a transfer of power, certain powers away from the presidency to different branches of power within Russia. And that got people relatively excited because Russia famously has a super presidential constitution. The president is clearly the number one political actor. And he was suggesting that people like the prime minister and bodies like the state Duma would have more of a say in uh, important decisions within the country. When, though, Putin's bill was introduced into the Duma on the 20th of January, the pictures changed slightly. It seemed as though maybe uh, the hopes that people had that we would have this more equitable distribution of power between individuals and bodies within Russian politics, that wasn't uh, really quite realised. And uh, as the amendment process and as the adoption procedure carried forward, uh, that picture solidified, that picture of even further centralization of power uh, uh, within the presidency uh, became much clearer. So we see this really stark divide in the way that Putin's talking about this constitutional reform on the 15th of January to where we are now. When looking at the um, law as it stands, uh, the presidency has really been beefed up. Okay, so Vladimir Putin will now have the option to serve out the remaining four years of his current term and then run for two more six-year terms, potentially taking his presidency all the way to 2036. As I've stated, I expect flying cars by then. As Ben explained, this whole initiative has been a top priority for the Kremlin. So it's little wonder that the corresponding legislation has passed smoothly through the legislatures at the federal and regional levels. But why has everything started moving so rapidly this week? The nationwide vote isn't until April 22nd, so... Why the hurry now? It almost feels like the lawmakers are racing each other. Some of these amendments are just bad law. That's Ella Panigach, a sociologist at the National Research University Higher School of Economics in St. Petersburg. For several years, she worked as a professor in the Department of Political Science and Sociology at the European University at St. Petersburg, and as a director and senior researcher for the Institute for the Rule of Law at the same university. Ellis says the sudden speed we're witnessing in Russia's constitutional amendment process is partly to blame on risk-averse lawmakers rushing at the last minute to do what they'd been asked to do weeks ago. 
When looking at the legal problems in many of the amendments, she advises some consideration of Hanlon's razor. Never attribute malice to that which is adequately explained by stupidity. Some of the problems are, you know, intentional, but many of them are not. When you have an amendment about government taking the role of the parents for all the children who are who, who do not have legal guardians, I don't think this is a political intention to reduce someone's freedom, to get more power or something like this. This is just a bad, bad law, which will be interpreted definitely in a very uh, bad ways. Ella is referring here to language in the reforms that define children as a national asset and mandate certain conditions for their cultural intellectual, moral, and physical development. It's going to be harder to adopt children. It's going to be easier for social services responsible for like supervising the well-being of children to take children out of families, including good families. So it's going to create a lot of mess in a very, very important area of our life. And this, this part is not because, you know, Putin wants to rule forever. This part is just because it is written by bad lawyers with no public discussion, without asking like real constitutional experts, in, real experts in constitutional law and so on. You have this, this pattern of not, not doing things on time and then doing things on the last moment, right before deadline, in a rush. In Russian, we have a word for it. It's called avral. Like, when you, like five minutes before deadline, you're starting, you are starting actually acting in panic. This is what avral is. And I guess this is what's going on. They wanted to finish the process by some date, we don't know. Probably one of the guesses is uh, by, uh, they wanted to finish it by uh, the 9th of May, the time of uh, celebration of 75 years since uh, uh, the end of World War II for Russia. I'm not sure that's true, but they definitely had some deadline on their mind. And uh, in a, in a non-transparent bureaucracy, it's hard to get started. No one wants to, to be the first to start. No one wants to take the risk and responsibility and so on and so forth. And then they lose the time. And then they have like too little time to do everything they need to do like in, in a normal pace. I asked Ben Noble about lawmakers' apparent resort to a kind of shoot-from-the-hip legislative improvisation, and he pointed out that the government's decision to finish these amendments, to put a bow on them, if you will, with a nationwide vote, is really a very sticky situation, namely because Russian law doesn't really have a concept for a nationwide vote that isn't technically a referendum. So they're having to make stuff up on the fly. They're having to lift existing provisions and make them applicable to the nationwide vote. So one clear example is that the Central Electoral Commission 
and uh, more broadly, the authorities want to be able to say that they could punish people who violate the regulations in relation to the nationwide vote. And if you're going to punish somebody for something, then that will be included in either the criminal code or the code of administrative violations. But both of those legal documents don't have a reference to a nationwide vote. They refer to elections. They refer to referenda. Now, this might sound like a meaningless technicality. In practice, though, as these reforms have been shoved through the parliament, Ben says it's wreaked havoc on Russia's political institutions. And so we see this really quite remarkable situation whereby the uh, political actors within the state Duma, people like Pavel Krasininikov, who's very well respected, who's uh, the chair of the lead committee that's been dealing with Putin's reform bill, they're having to rip up, essentially violate the standing orders of the state Duma Uh, The standing orders, they relate to the procedures whereby one uh, reviews and adopts law. They're having to ignore those rules in order to make these last minute changes uh, to insert provisions relating to the nationwide vote into the criminal code and the code of um, administrative violations. So we see this uh, tension uh, between the political expediency in relation to the nationwide vote and the uh, clear trampling uh, of institutions and institutional rules in relation to legislative procedure. Okay, so let's let's step back for for a moment. I kind of jumped into this story by assaulting the politics of the amendments and the legal literacy of the proposals themselves, but I've said very little, and my guests have said very relatively little about Russia's constitution itself. I mean, in fact, I'm sure many listeners out there might be surprised to learn that Russia even has a constitution, given the country's notoriously weak institutions and its extremely long-serving head of state. But Russia does have a constitution, you'll be happy to know. It was adopted in 1993. But not all pieces of this document were created equal. In fact, chapters 1, 2, and 9 are off-limits to amendments. And you've basically got to throw out the whole document and start over should you want to revise the parts addressing the fundamentals of the constitutional system, the rights and freedoms of man and citizen, sorry, ladies, and the last chapter on constitutional amendments and constitutional review. None of those three chapters can be amended using standard process. That's Jane Henderson, a scholar at King's College London and an expert in the legal systems of modern-day Russia and the USSR. She's currently researching aspects of the Russian state structure and constitutionalism, which of course means that I chewed her ear off with questions about Russia's unfolding constitutional rewrite. The standard process for the other chapters three through eight are amended by following the legislative procedure that you use for things called federal constitutional laws, which are, as it were, special laws. Um, Again, continental Europe, they have them often, well, the French call them organic laws. So the laws that are more important constitutionally than your standard federal law to amend any of the constitutional chapters that are not entrenched, so chapters three to eight, you use the process that is used for adopting a federal constitutional law plus accession or agreement by at least two-thirds of the subjects of the Russian Federation. 
And the process for getting a federal constitutional law passed is to have qualified majorities of three quarters in the state Duma and two thirds in the Federation Council. And so that has actually happened already with these new new amendments. That has happened. That has happened. So they're they're enacted then. That's the they're, the amendments are law then. The uh, well, except that Putin hasn't signed them, so that final step hasn't happened. Yes, he does need to sign. If it's a federal constitutional law, he can't refuse. He doesn't have a presidential veto. And the president is then has no veto power with with a law like that, whether it's a just a standard constitutional law or or an amendment law. But it's not actually enacted until he or she signs it. I guess that's right. I mean, so he can he can hang back and say, "Well, I can't veto it, but I also." Don't have to sign it right now. (laughs) I suppose that's right. To be honest, this is uncharted territory. I don't think that issue has ever arisen. Now, given that you can change chapters three to eight of the Constitution, all the Constitutional Court will be confirming is that there's nothing in the fixed chapters, the entrenched chapters, chapters one or two, that these new changes conflict with. Because given that the legislature or the process can be done to make constitutional changes, if that's followed in the proper way, then the Constitutional Court can't very well turn around and say, ha ha, that's unconstitutional. The only thing they can measure it against is, does it fit with the entrenched chapters? So the chapters on the fundamentals and the chapters on um, chapter on, on human rights and the, the chapter on how to change. Now, Jane doesn't expect this to happen, but theoretically, there are still constitutional grounds by which you could strike down the new amendments. For instance, mentioning God is against the one of the fundamentals that is in an entrenched chapter that the Russian Federation is a secular state. Well, actually, there's two articles. Article 13, which is in the first chapter, ideological diversity should be recognized in the Russian Federation. No ideology may be established as state or obligatory. And it also goes on about political diversity and so on. And then Article 14 says, the Russian Federation is a secular state. No religion may be established as state or obligatory. That's the first paragraph. And the second paragraph says, religious associations shall be separate from the state and equal before the law. Okay, so if the new amendment suddenly said Russia is a an orthodox state or or one of the other, you know, there, there are four traditional religions in Russia, Christianity, particularly orthodoxy, Islam, Judaism, and Buddhism. The others don't get mentioned. But what the new wording is sort of saying that we have inherited from our ancestors this belief in God. So it's arguable that it, and I, I, I assume this is what the Constitutional Court will probably do, say that the amendment isn't exactly going against the secular state. It's just acknowledging the historical reality of where Russia's roots come from. So if one might call it the weasel words in the way the amendment has been done, they should be able to, if they wish, and I'm sure they will, say that this is not in breach of the of. Article 14. It's kind of remarkable, it seems, or maybe it's not, but it, it seems remarkable to me that you can change large chunks of the Constitution, most of the Russian Constitution, without technically needing to go to a popular vote. Like you don't need to, con- the, consulting the people with this, as I understand it, with this legislation, these amendments, is just a sort of nicety that, that 
Putin is tacking on for extra legitimacy, but that it's not necessary. Yes, no, absolutely. Absolutely not necessary. <laughs> I don't know. So you're talking to someone who's brought up without a codified constitution. So I'm not sure quite what's normal in those senses. Because again, usually changes to constitutions are rather technical. They're not the sorts of things that, it's lawyer's law if one could put it that way, unless it's a big deal. It was in the Irish constitution that you shouldn't have abortion. They had a referendum. I think they had another referendum on same-sex marriage and and the supporters of each of those two camps, if they were different, which they probably weren't, um, agreed to support each other and both, both amendments got passed. But again, I don't know how much of an unusual case Ireland is. It's just something because it's comparatively close to home that get. You know, has been discussed here. But it's but it's definitely there's there was no legal need to go to an, a nationwide vote. Absolutely right. It it was just completely novel and it was one of my Russian constitutional law academic experts who said it's meaningless. Is a referendum necessary to amend chapters one, two and nine? The provisions of chapters one, two and nine may not be reviewed by the Federal Assembly. Okay, we already said that. They can't be changed by the legislature. If a proposal concerning a revision of the provisions of chapters 1, 2 and 9 of the Constitution of the Russian Federation is supported by three-fifths of the votes of the total number of members of the Federation Council and deputies of the State Duma, then in accordance with a federal constitutional law, a constitutional assembly shall be convoked. The constitutional assembly then gets together, according to the third paragraph of that article, shall either confirm the immutability of the constitution or work out a new draft. And then um, the constitutional assembly will adopt a new draft if it chooses by two thirds of the votes of its total number of members or shall be submitted to an all people's referendum. So you, it is even possible to amend chapters one, two and nine without a referendum also if if this assembly and who, who goes into this assembly? Ha ha ha. Well, that's the federal constitutional law on the constitutional assembly has not yet been adopted. It is the one federal constitutional law we don't have. All the other federal constitutional laws exist because the constitution says on this topic, we should have a federal constitutional law and all of the others have been passed, but this one not yet. They clearly haven't felt a need for it. So there's no procedure in place to determine who goes into a Constitutional Assembly? Nope. Nope. <laughs> so they could have done it this way. They would have had perfect control over that procedure if they wanted to go that route too then. I guess so. But the optics are not so good because part of, of the messages that have been going out up until last December is that the Constitution's fine. We might need a little tweak here and there, but this can be done by interpretation. Speaking of Russia's constitutional court, and interpretations, this same court is about to rule on the constitutionality of all these new constitutional amendments, including the amendment that would zero out Vladimir Putin's term clock, a remarkable proposal, especially given that this man has already been elected to office four times. Jane Henderson says the court has ruled in the past in a way that would actually strike down this amendment, but she says there's also precedent for the court changing its mind, especially when the political winds shift. Jane also taught me a British slang use of the word form. And while I like it, I don't think I totally get it or would be able to use it myself. I don't know if you know the English expression, it has form. We use that for, for criminals, you know, where they have <laughs> previous convictions. 
the, the constitutional court has form for changing its mind on an important legal provision. So in 1996, the constitutional court said governors should be elected. You know, the principle of democracy says that governors really ought to be directly elected. That was again in the 90s when Yeltsin was president. When we get to the 2000s, by the time we get to, to 2005, and we've had all sorts of things like the Best Land tragedy, the Constitutional Court decided, no, no, it's fine if governors are appointed as long as the person, the official who appoints them, were themselves elected. That fulfills the requirements of democracy fine. And this was quite a big change from a, you know, an important legal position that the court had previously taken. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, a podcast that highlights how Medusa's top reporting intersects with the wider research and expertise that exists about Russia. On today's show, we spoke to three scholars about the politics and the legalities behind constitutional reforms now in motion in Russia that could keep Putin in office until 2036. On future episodes of this show, we'll be discussing euphemisms in the Russian media's reporting on disasters. We'll look at queer Russian language science fiction. And honestly, I'm thinking of doing an episode about the coronavirus in Russia I just haven't worked out yet how to do this in an interesting way, but stay tuned. I'm thinking about it. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our first English language show, and I hope you recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this show in front of more people. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. <laughs>